Thank you, choir. Turn with me this morning to John's Gospel, John chapter 21. Looked at several passages in John leading up to Easter. I think I'd like to look at a few more. One here after the resurrection, and then we'll go backwards in the book and look at a few uh, from earlier in the Gospel. But today we will be in John chapter 21. Of course, greet all of you in the Lord. Always grateful when the congregation assembles. I do echo Don's uh, welcome to all of our visitors. See several of you uh, back with us this morning. Grateful you've uh, returned. You heard the announcement that there isn't a youth group tonight, but ordinarily during the school year, Sunday nights at 6 p.m., the youth do meet over in the fellowship hall for Bible study and, and time together, and we feed them. So that's always a great blessing there, and uh, that's normal throughout the school year. And then if at any point, if you need a restroom or just need to step out, the door behind me goes into our educational wing, where there's plenty of uh, rooms and restrooms, nursery downstairs if you need any of that. Of course, you're, you're a little exposed. I, we all call it the walk of shame, you know, but we won't, we won't look at you or, or anything like that. If at any point, uh, you got to hit the door behind me. So John chapter 21, and let me read us verses 15 uh, through 19. And then we will come to the preaching of the word. John chapter 21, here now, God's word, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us now as we've read your word to hear the voice of God speaking in the scripture. Uh, That is Jesus promises earlier in John's gospel, the advocate, is going to come and and be with us forever, that we may know your presence and know the Father, that we might love you and keep your commands and have peace and be uh, serve you, know you, and, and experience all your gracious blessings. So may that happen right now in the reading and preaching of the word. May it go with us as we go out to live as your disciples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how Peter must have wept. Only a few hours earlier, he had boasted of his faithfulness to the Lord. Shortly shortly before his arrest, Jesus warned the disciples, This very night, you will all fall away on account of me. But not Peter. He had told the Lord, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even when the Lord warned him specifically before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Still, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter made his Lord a great promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
But Peter's resolve failed him. And when faced with the questions, aren't you one of them? He denied his association with the Lord. Not once, not twice, but three times. And now he was weeping because his resolutions had failed him. Grieved, he had sinned against his Lord. And he did not know what would happen next. Well, fast forward here to John chapter 21. Now we are in the days after the resurrection. And here in John, Jesus appears to his disciples a third time, this time on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, after they've fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus asks them, do you have any fish? And they say, no. And he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they catch 153 fish. And they realize Jesus is speaking to them. And so Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore, and the rest of the disciples follow in the boat. And when Peter gets to shore, they find a fire waiting. Jesus has cooked breakfast for them, and they enjoy a meal with their risen Lord. And then John reports the conversation we've read today. In the presence of all of the disciples, after finishing breakfast, the Lord asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus speaks to this fallen disciple and asks him if he loves him. What is Jesus doing with Peter here? How does Jesus address his fallen disciples? How did he address Peter? And how does he address us when we sin? Have you ever done something like what Peter did? Or maybe not something so public, but maybe there was a a private temptation you succumbed to, and it's very serious, some kind of sin against your God. Maybe you've sinned against your family. Maybe you've sinned against a friend. Maybe you've sinned against your own body. Well, how does Jesus treat us when we fail? That's our question for today. How does Jesus treat us when we sin? And this text shows us three ways that Jesus addresses fallen disciples. And the first is really the biggest one. It kind of consumes the whole idea. It is this, that Jesus restores us. Now, verses 15 through 17, this back and forth between Jesus and Peter, it's a pretty well-known interaction where, as you've seen, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And these verses are often preached, and not all that's been said about these verses is good. So some people do not see restoration taking place in these verses. Some people take these as a rebuke. And here's how one sermon interpreted it uh, that I found online. He, he, he re- replays the conversation like this. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I sure thought I did. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Really? If I knew it, Peter, did you ever stop and think why I'd be asking you? If I knew it, if it was obvious, did you think I'd ask you if you love me? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, I asked you to do me a favor. Feed the sheep. Lord, I thought I was feeding the sheep. Oh, you're feeding them, Peter, and they're growing plenty fat. But you're not feeding them sheep food, Peter. You're feeding them the devil's tin cans. You're feeding them the world's food. And I tried to put a little accent on it. It was even worse to what I was listening online. You could tell the preacher didn't. He was ready to give it to the people. So when you hear something like that, and maybe you've heard that in your life, why take these words as restorative? Why view them as restoration rather than condemnation or rebuke? Well, I'll give you two reasons. First, 
when Jesus repeats the question three times, that is on purpose to give Peter an opportunity to confess his love for Christ. Here in this passage, he makes three professions of love, and those offset his three previous denials. And when I say offset, I don't mean, you know, okay, now the good works are going to balance the bad works and everything is going to be okay. What I mean is Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to make the right choice, to repent of what he did previously and now say what he truly thinks about his Lord. In other words, who is Peter? Who is the real Peter? What characterizes him? Denial or love? Here, he expresses his love for his Savior and his commitment to him. So that's one reason. The intentional threefold question is Peter's chance to confess his love for Christ. And secondly, I want you to notice Jesus' response to Peter's answer. The sermon I gave you editorialized a great bit, but in the text, three times, Jesus responds to Peter's confession of faith with the command, Feed my sheep. If Jesus was chastising Peter, if Jesus was unsure of whether Peter really loved him, why would he give Peter a threefold commission to feed the sheep? Jesus is telling Peter, I am restoring you to me, and I am restoring you to service. Peter, because you love me, go feed my sheep. Jesus knows whether Peter really loves him, and so he draws out that love. He allows Peter to publicly confess before Christ and the other disciples his love for the Savior. Now, maybe at this point, though, you're wondering, okay, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't Peter use a lower form of the Greek word for love When he answers Jesus, this often comes into this sermon. That's one reason people see maybe things aren't well between Jesus and Peter because there's different words for love used. So Jesus is basically asking Peter, hey, do you love me with top shelf love? Top shelf love. And Peter says, Lord, I love you with bottom shelf love. And so Jesus has to finally lower to that standard. Okay, do you even love me with that bottom shelf love? So I think we need to say something about that here in this message. And we can do it without getting super technical. But Greek, like English, like other languages, uses several words to communicate the idea of love. So in English, we have love, charity, affection, adore, delight, just to name a few. And sometimes they overlap. And sometimes they express different nuances. Well, it's the same way in Greek. So you have two words that communicate the idea of love, and two of them occur in this passage. One of those words is often described as a higher form of love. It's the Greek word agapao. The other is described as a lower form of love, the Greek verb phileo. So the first two times when Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he uses the so-called higher word. Peter, do you agapao love me? And Peter answers with the so-called lower word. Lord, I phileo love you. And so the third time, Jesus just uses that lower word, and Peter answers with the same. 
So again, one friend said to me, it's almost like Jesus just has to be like, Peter, you know, do you even like me? Well, I would suggest you shouldn't look for much difference in the meaning of the two words here. And here's why. John uses both of these words throughout his gospel to refer to the same kind of love. Listen to just these few references. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Love there is agapao. But John 5.20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Guess what word there? Phileo. John 11, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, agapao, in the same chapter. Then the Jews said, see how he, Jesus, loved him, phileo. And we could go on and on. If you get the notes emailed to you, you'll you'll see a few more details in the notes. There's no observable difference in the kind of love described by both words in these verses. John, Jesus, Peter, they alternate merely for reasons of style. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, I do. And so Jesus is restoring Peter. And let me just develop that under under two more smaller ideas, under that heading of Jesus restores us. How does this comfort us? Two ways. One, Jesus restores us to himself. When you fall, when you sin, Jesus stands ready to restore you. Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me, Jesus says. And that's the most important thing. Do you love Jesus? Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't care about your intentions. I don't care about your commitments. I'm asking if you love me. And when Peter says yes, he is restored to his Lord. One of the temptations we face is when we fall, when we do some kind of sin, and we're wounded in our conscience, as we ought to be. But we're tempted to to make up for it by making bold declarations, great commitments. I'll never fall again. You know, Peter, before he denied the Lord, said, I'll never fall away. And we struggle with saying, okay, I'll never do that again. I'm going to make up with these great commitments. That is not what Jesus asks for here. He brings Peter back to the basics. He has him confess the most fundamental part of a right relationship with God, love. So I would tell you, when you sin, old or young, middle age, wherever you are, when you sin, confess your love to Jesus Christ. Go to the cross. Receive the cleansing he offers. As we sang in the song today, I run to Christ. Realize he is not there to cast you away. He is there to draw you near to him. And what he is asking for is love. Now, there is a sense in this passage in which Peter is expressing humility and repentance. I don't want to underplay that. So notice again Jesus' question in verse 15. Simon, son of John... Do you love me more than these? And Jesus is probably asking, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? I say that because what was Peter's boast? Even if all fall away, I will not. I love you more than these, Lord. So Jesus says, all right, Peter, do you love me more than these other ones do? And Peter this time doesn't answer 
with a grand claim to love Christ more than the others do. He answers only for himself. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So maybe that's Peter's way of saying he's learned not to boast great things for himself. He's learned not to trust in his own resources. He's learned that though he may promise to love Jesus more than others do, he may not make good on his promise. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Peter simply answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So so there should be a sense in when we fall, there's more humility and less self-reliance. But that's part of Jesus restoring us. To himself, And I think furthermore, you can see Peter's repentance in the sting he feels when Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? I mean, no doubt Peter's going to pick up on threefold question. And it is going to remind him of the denial. And so in verse 17, we read, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Maybe Peter is worried. Does Jesus doubt the integrity of my answer? And so he appeals to his Lord's omniscience, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Lord, you know the true state of my heart. You know that I love you. There are times when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go do this. And Peter said, no, you're not. Peter didn't like the idea of Jesus knowing what was coming then. Now Peter likes the idea that Jesus knows all things. And so he commits even his spiritual being, his his ability to love to his Lord. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. How good to know that God sees spiritual growth even when we don't. And he knows where love and faith are. And so Jesus' point is to restore Peter on the basis of love so that he will love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, in mind. So Jesus restores us to himself, and under this first idea, Jesus restores us to our task. Each time Peter professes his love for Christ, Jesus commissions him to feed his sheep. And as he did with the word love, John again uses different words to say the same thing. In verse 15, he says, feed my lambs. In verse 16, he says, take care of my sheep. And in verse 17, he says, feed my sheep. So he alternates the verb for feed and the noun for the animals. Now, by the way, preachers don't have sermons on why we have different words for feed and different words for animals, but we'll just let that go. They they get latched onto the word for love. What about all the variety here? That's just more indication. It's just stylistic variation. That's why there's a different word. So, So Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. And that command restores Peter to his apostolic task. John Calvin writes, Now therefore the liberty as well as the authority of teaching is restored to him, both of which he had lost through his own fault, and so that the disgrace of his apostasy might not stand in his way, Christ blots out and destroys the remembrance of it. Years before, Jesus had called Peter to follow him. And he had promised to make him and the other disciples fishers of people. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus had commended Peter for his confession of faith and had committed to him and to the other disciples the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Was all of that lost now that Peter had denied his Lord? Should he go back to fishing permanently? That's what some people think is going on in this chapter. No, he should not. Peter's denial of Christ has not caused Christ to deny him. And though Peter made a poor showing of his faith when he was tried, this has not resulted in him losing the privilege of serving the church and feeding Christ's sheep. And so it is with you and the work God gives you. Your sins have not made you unusable to God. Your weaknesses, limitations... Times of unbelief, past sins, they don't just put you on the shelf or now you just have to sit around and wait for life to end. God has something for you to do. So when you sin, confess your love for Christ, continue in the task God calls you to. So Jesus restores us. That's the big idea of the passage. Two more ideas. We'll look at them briefly. They're simple. Secondly, Jesus promises to preserve us. Notice verses 18 and 19. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself and went where you, excuse me, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Here, Jesus foretells Peter's martyrdom. One day, someone is going to lead Peter to a place where he does not want to go. And they will stretch out his hands, and he will glorify his God with his death. And this isn't to say that only a martyr's death glorifies God. But that is what Jesus has for Peter. Now, on the one hand, we may think, well, that's not very good news. Jesus is warning Peter of suffering and pain. Yes, that would be there. But what else is Jesus saying? Peter, you're going to end your life in service to me. Through your death, you will bring glory to me. Peter, you're not going to fall away next time. You're not going to fail to confess me when you are worried about the outcome. I will preserve you to the very end. And not even perfectly. I mean, just read Acts. Paul, you know, Peter has to see the vision three times. In Galatians, Paul has to get in Peter's faith. Like, he's not perfect. But God is saying, you're going to make it to the end. I will preserve you. Your faith will not fail. You will finish your task. I'm commissioning you to feed my sheep, and I'm comforting you with the assurance you will complete your task. That is what Jesus promises to us. He preserves his servants. Why? Because as John tells us in his first letter, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the nature of God. That's the sufficiency of God's grace. He finishes what he starts. Peter himself writes in his first letter of the very great and precious promises that are ours in Christ. Jesus assured Peter, you won't end your life with another desertion. I'm going to preserve you, and you can have confidence. You can have confidence, friends. God will preserve you. So he restores us. He promises to preserve us. And lastly, Jesus gives us a new beginning. Notice the final words of verse 19. Follow me. Does that sound familiar? 
Those were Christ's first words to Peter in Matthew's gospel. Follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. It's a new beginning. Peter, just as I commissioned you then, so I commission you now. And again, John Calvin writes, Peter comes forth to us as a new man from whom the disgrace that might have lessened his authority has been removed. This is what Jesus does to us. He gives us a new beginning. He cleanses us from all our sins and stains and lets us begin again. And when we sin and fail, he restores us. He forgives us. He promises to take care of us. He finds some way to use us in his service. So what do you do when you fail? Well, you shouldn't take it lightly. Don't act like sin's no big deal. But don't fall into that pit of despair. Jesus restores fallen disciples. He restores us to himself. He restores us to our work. He, you don't have to sign a commitment card and promise fantastic things. Just run to the cross. Confess your love for your Savior and trust upon his grace. Let's pray for God's help to do that. Pray with me. Father in heaven, our prayer today is that we would learn to live daily by your grace. There's a lot of grace in this passage that you show in dealing with Peter and with the other disciples. Lord, I pray we just learn to live daily by that saving, sanctifying, empowering grace. And I do pray that you would show to us our sin, that we would repent of it. Or we're self-sufficient or proud or sinful, Lord, show that to us. And I pray that we would know truly your love and forgiveness. Not be overwhelmed with ongoing guilt and remorse and regret. But where there's been true repentance, that we would know true forgiveness and be able to move on. And so, Lord, then by your spirit, as we prayed earlier in the prayer of confession, cultivate within us true virtue, love for you, service to you and to others. Doing good as the hands of feet of Jesus in your church and within your creation. And make us those who depend on grace, who trust in it, not our performance, but your grace for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing in closing. Hymn 465, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Hymn 465. Stand with me, please, as we sing.